Welcome to the home for Bible geeks everywhere. This This is the Edge Podcast with Scott Logan. What's up, Bible geeks, and welcome to the Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Logan, admitting that my fight to keep summer 2017 alive might be coming closer to the expiration date. I've tried to hold off fall and winter in my own power for as long as I could, but alas, not succumbing to fall things hasn't changed the fact that it's in the 40s this week, and quite frankly, I'm cold, and it's November, and... There is the slight smell of turkey and stuffing and sweet potato casserole and pecan pie looming in the distance. Anyway, for the last couple of weeks, we've taken a detour from the book of James as we've been celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. If you haven't listened to the Edge podcast Reformation specials part one and two, then make sure to go back and check them out. You can get there by checking out the episode archive section of the website at theedgepodcast.com. But today, we're heading back to where we left off in James 4, where James has so far talked about the infighting of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and he's been talking about the issues with many of these so-called Christians who are still very much in an intimate relationship with the Satan-driven, anti-God, worldly system that we live in. The people who have a settled affection for the carnal things of this world and And then, after pointing out the sin, James gave one of the greatest invitations to salvation in Scripture when he said to resist the devil uh, in the old ways of life and draw near to God in a new life filled with God's saving grace given to those who humble themselves before the Lord. And now, moving into verses 11 and 12, James is still in the same conversation. But the reason we didn't tag these on in our last show about James is because even though in many translations these scriptures are clumped in with the whole first section of the chapter, verses 11 and 12 also have kind of a self-contained thought. And so I wanted to wait and go over these on this episode. Let's read these and then we'll talk about what that self-contained thought is because there's some real important stuff here for us to understand. And some of it might be something that we've allowed ourselves to take too lightly, uh, at least a little. James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Let's read it together. Don't criticize one another, brothers. He who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And that's where we're going to stop. We're just doing those two verses on today's show. Now, the version of the Bible that I use on the show almost all the time is the Holman Christian Standard. And in our various 
English translations, this can read very differently. So I think it's easy to read this and not understand the intended point made in the original language. You might read what Holman says and say, oh, look, it says don't criticize, so I guess I shouldn't give any constructive criticism to anyone. That's not what this is saying. I've also seen a lot of people use this passage before in their defense mechanisms, saying things like, you can't call me out on sin because the Bible says don't judge. And that also would be a wrong understanding of this, as well as a very contradictive thought from what the Bible does say uh, we should do about brothers and sisters who are in sin. Really what this is about is something we know very much about because every day it seems like you hear a story on the news of a lawsuit concerning this. And what it is is defamation of character. Now the dictionary definition says that defamation of character is an attack on the reputation of someone by publishing falsely and maliciously things that slander and injure. So defamation of character has to do with publishing, that is, proclaiming something. Secondly, proclaiming something that is false. And thirdly, proclaiming something that is false with a malicious intent. You, sir, are a liar. <laughs> Why a liar? Your pants are on fire! That's defamation of character. Now in our country, that's against the law. It's against the civil law and you are subject to a civil lawsuit if indeed you defame someone's character. It's, it's funny how even a fallen, carnal, worldly culture realizes that a person's reputation is their most valued asset. It has to be protected. Your reputation is your stock in trade and even our secular society gets that. In the early days of our country, back in the very early founding years of New York, those who slandered or defamed another person were apprehended and the punishment was to pierce through their tongue with a hot iron and then banish them from New York. I thought their traffic laws were extreme. <laughs> But even the society itself recognized that you can't let people run around defaming other people's character because you destroy them at the most vital point. And the basis of these kinds of laws and the basis of that kind of protection in our society, the protection from malicious lies, really comes from a social conscience born out of the word of God. The dignity of someone and the right of someone to have their character preserved and to be free from malicious slander is actually based on the ethics found in the Bible. Fun fact. Another fun fact. Did you know that the Old Testament denounces the offense of slandering God and slandering man more than any other offense? There are more denunciations in the Old Testament of the defamation of the name of God or the name of another person than any other sin. Now, James brings to our attention this matter of the defamation of others with malicious lies intended to injure them and brings it to the forefront of our attention in a very, very forceful way. These verses are brief, but they're sharp. Remember where we are here in this study. At this point, James has pointed out that humility is the essential characteristic in, in someone who receives saving grace. 
And now James is moving forward and he gives us an example of how humility gets violated and pride is revealed, and that's through defaming other people. It's a non-humble and very proud kind of sin. It's also the next test in James's series of tests to test for honest saving faith. Remember that James has been giving us tests to look for genuine faith. And someone whose life pattern is habitually, maliciously slandering people isn't showing the product of someone who's been transformed by the saving grace of Jesus. Now, like I said, there are a ton of scriptures throughout the Bible to show how God feels about defamation of character. Here's a few. Look at Proverbs chapter 6, 16 through 19. It says, the Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. Arrogant eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that plots wicked schemes, feet eager to run evil, a lying witness who gives false testimony, and one who stirs up trouble among brothers. Three of those things have to do with how you speak about other people. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 1, it says, You must not spread a false report. Do not join the wicked to be a malicious witness. Paul echoed that when we were studying Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 31, uh, when Paul said, All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. And what he's talking about there are the sins that destroy personal relationships, one of which is slander. And he says, All those sins that destroy personal relationships need to be put away. In Psalm 50, there are two verses that describe the wicked as characteristically addicted to slander. It's like slander is the wicked's fruit of the devil. Nothing makes people feel better about themselves than to slander somebody else. In Matthew chapter 15, uh, verse 19, Jesus associated slander with the violent sins that proceed out of a grossly wicked heart. It says, For from the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, there it is, and blasphemies. Scripture also highlights some of the really severe repercussions of defaming someone. When you speak falsely about someone, it can really cause some damage in different kinds of ways. In Proverbs 16.28 and Proverbs 17.9, the scripture says it utterly destroys friendships. In Proverbs 18.8 and 26.22, the scripture says it leaves deep scarring wounds in the soul of the one slandered. In Proverbs 26, 20, it reveals how it leads ultimately to conflict. In Proverbs 6, 19, uh, what we just read a few moments ago, how it sows discord among the brothers. Scripture makes much of this, as I said, more than any other single sin in the Old Testament, and speaks of its devastation in every facet of life. Some of the hardest-hitting slander you read in the Bible was committed against Jesus. He was the perfect son of God. And in Matthew eleven nineteen, it says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They accused Jesus of being an alcoholic. In Matthew 26, 59, it says, The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false testimony against Jesus so they could put him to death. 
but they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two who came forward stated, this man said, I can demolish God's sanctuary and rebuild it in three days. Basically, the whole execution of Jesus Christ was founded on the fact that some people lied. They lied about the intent of the words of Jesus. That's got to be the worst case of all when it comes to slander. Where does all this slander come from anyway? What's the heart that's pumping the blood here? Well, in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus said, You are of your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has not stood in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of liars. Fun fact. Another fun fact. Did you know the Greek word for devil is diabolos? which literally means slanderer. So slander is basically satanic. It's a, it is characteristic of those children of Satan, those who are driven, guided, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, by the prince of the power of the air, whose lives are dominated by the rulers of darkness. It's a harsh truth, but that category covers everyone who isn't a Christian. If God isn't someone's father, that doesn't mean that they're an orphan. It means that Satan is daddy for them, and his nature is what is flowing through them. Now, let's get back to the main text here in James 4. Verse 11, don't criticize one another, brothers. This doesn't mean that we're forbidden to hate sin, by the way. It doesn't mean we're forbidden to expose sin. It doesn't mean we're forbidden to name sinners who won't repent. It's actually quite the contrary. The Bible commands us to have that kind of discernment and to expose sin. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 to 20, it says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not only are we called to discern sin, but also to call it out. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two more with you, so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he pays no attention to them, tell the church. But if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. There are other verses as well. Uh, Paul told us in 2 Thessalonians to mark those who aren't walking the way they ought to walk and have absolutely nothing to do with them. That's not a lightweight statement. Now, on the flip side of all of that, Peter told us that love covers a multitude of sins. 
Paul said in Galatians 1, Brothers, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So, verse 11 has nothing to do with exposing sin with righteous intent. What it has to do with is lying with malicious intent. Big difference. Now, personally, I'm not a huge fan of how the Holman translates verse 11 as criticize. I'm usually a big fan of Holman, but I feel like it's easy to lose the point with just the word criticize because criticism uh, isn't necessarily always a bad thing. Other translations interpret this as speaking evil, and that's closer to accurate. All right, cue up the Greek music because it is time once again for a Greek lesson. The verb here for criticize or speaking evil is kataleleo. It's what's called, here we go, an onomatopoetic word. Do you? That means a word which the definition of sounds like what it is. As an example, we might say that bumblebees buzz. That's an onomatopoetic word because the word itself sounds like what it's describing. And so the word catalileo sounds like backbiting slanderous double talk. Catalileo was the la 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 blah 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 of its day. It's onomatopoetic, I love that word, onomatopoetic in that sense. Someone might say, oh stop your catalileo, basically stop wagging your tongue in slanderous and malicious talk. So, in catalileo, the laleo part is a very interesting word in the Greek. There are two words in the New Testament that will often be translated for speaking or saying. One is lego, which means to release one's grip of another person's waffle. And, oh, no, wait, I'm sorry. Lego is where we get words like logic or ology, you know, like when we say theologic or theology. Lego speaks of something that assumes thought. Lego refers to words coming from the mouth that are first backed by some sort of intelligent thought process. It's also where we get the word logos, which many of you may have heard before. Uh, logos is just the noun version of Lego. Now, the other word for speaking or saying in the New Testament is the word that we're encountering in verse 11 uh, today, laleo, which is very different. You see, Lego means to say something that is logical. It speaks of something that presupposes thought, whereas laleo, today's word of the day, simply describes sound and has nothing to say about thought. Now, it can be used where there is thought, um, but that's not what it intends to convey. It would be the word used, for example, of the noise an animal makes. Like when you're teaching your kid that the cow goes Mrrr. A farm animal can be a laleo because they're not saying things or producing sounds that have logical reason and presupposed thought. So, 
Laleo here in, in verse 11 is the word that would be used to express something that was mindless, uh, that was thoughtless, that was empty-headed and careless, uh, that was just noise or just sound. Now, the first part of the word kata laleo, which is kata, means down, like you're speaking down to somebody or speaking against someone. It's basically defaming them. It's often translated backbiting because catalaleo implies the absence of the person being spoken against and bitten in the back. James is speaking here of the careless babble that runs people down, critical, derogatory, slanderous, and untrue, and the defaming of a person who isn't there to defend themselves. He then goes on to say, he who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. So he repeats the verb for defaming, and then he adds the thought of judging, which is the Greek word krino, and it means to condemn someone. Again, many people misunderstand the idea of to judge or not to judge. This isn't talking about the idea of evaluating someone by their good or bad fruits. It's flat-out condemnation. James is coming against slander that speaks evil and then goes a step further when someone actually tries to become God and sentence people to judgment. There are people today who really misunderstand the concept of judging. Uh, they take the word judging in the New Testament and they always associate it with calling people out on their sin. So like if you see something that isn't right and you call it out, you very well might hear from someone wagging their finger at you saying, no, 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 judge not or you will be judged. Take the plank out of your own eye. And I feel like that nowadays in my late 30s, I hear that notion getting thrown around a lot more than it used to. Maybe it's just me, or maybe it has something to do with the ever-growing politically correct system that we live in, where it's taboo to call anything sin because it might offend someone. The Bible does not say to avoid calling out sin. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? It's context time. This isn't saying to avoid calling out someone else's sin because you have a bigger one that you struggle with. This is that same Greek word, krino, which means to condemn. And when Jesus is saying this, he's specifically talking to the Pharisees who thought it was their duty to assign people to divine judgment. Jesus was reminding the Pharisees that they're not God and they're not the final court. They're not the judge of all the earth. So we have no right to slander someone and worse, to assign to them condemnation as if God was operating through us. We might examine, uh, we might try to discern, we can evaluate someone based on their fruits that we see, but we don't play God. That's what that verse is saying. Now again, the Holman doesn't really express this, but other translations do. In the original Greek, James says to not continue doing this in verse 11. Basically, the Greek says, stop doing this. So we can assume that this was going on as a tactic between the warring Jewish factions. 
pretty much the more you read chapter four, you can get the idea that it was one ugly scene. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to see James start getting into some deeper stuff in these two verses. We're going to hear from our buddy Todd Nettleton over at Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and when we come back, we're going to continue looking at James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Don't go away. Where truth and entertainment are BFFs. The Edge Podcast with Scott Logan. Hi, I'm Todd Nettleton, and this is the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Imams, witch doctors, modern hospitals, no one had been able to heal Rebecca of her illness. The 23-year-old Ugandan woman was desperate. What could be the harm in letting a visiting evangelist pray for her? To her shock, the Christian's prayer worked and she was healed. Rebecca gladly gave her life to Jesus, but her Muslim family wasn't pleased and threw her out of their home. Rebecca is now living with a local pastor and his wife and growing in faith every day. Pray for Rebecca's family that they too will find spiritual healing and come to know the power of the one true God. I will not let my brothers and sisters suffer in silence, nor will I let them serve alone. To join me in prayer for the persecuted Christians, go to vomradio.net. You're listening to the home for Bible geeks everywhere. This is the Edge Podcast with Scott Logan. Welcome back to the show. We've been talking about James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And let me just get these verses back in your head for a moment. It says, Don't criticize one another, brothers. He who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So we've already established that what this is talking about is defamation of character, defaming the character of someone and condemning them. And as we said before, these verses are brief, but they're sharp. And there is some cool theology just in these two verses. So James directs his words at four areas of profound thought. The first point that we get from James is, if you want to control your tongue and your heart, it starts with what we think about others. Look at the word that James uses three times in verse 11. He uses the word brother. Obviously, James is using that three times in one brief sentence for some impact. James is basically saying, look, I'm just reminding you of your relationship to each other. You're going to get a grip on this sin of slander and malicious gossip when you start thinking properly about each other. He says, you are all brothers, brothers in a family. How can you say this of each other? James is talking about the intimate relationship that exists among Christians. He's writing to a Christian church. He's writing to an assembly of people who are linked in common life. Now, some are true believers, some are not, but they're all linked in common life. They're all a family. And he says slander against another in the family is absolutely unacceptable. You don't do that in a brotherhood. You don't do that among family. You protect each other. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta hug. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. And God takes the sibling relationships 
shared by believers very seriously. And Christians, slandering Christians, isn't cool with God whatsoever. We've been popping into Matthew a lot this week, but in chapter 18, verses 2 to 6, we see just how serious God takes this relationship between Christian brothers and sisters. Now, again, this is one of those slightly misinterpreted scriptures sometimes or misquoted scriptures. Some people read this as talking about children as far as little young people go. But Jesus is actually uh, just pulling a child from the audience and using that child as a picture here in talking about Christians who are children or little ones in the spiritual sense. It says this, Then he called a child to him and had him stand among them. I assure you, he said, unless you are converted and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one child like this in my name welcomes me. But whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Exclamation point. Ouch! That's a strong statement, and it shows us how much Jesus cares for us. Basically, it would be better to be drowned mafia style than to contribute to the downfall of one of God's kids. So James is saying, you are brothers, you are family, there's no room for backbiting, don't defame each other's character, don't play God and try to condemn someone. So if you want to control your tongue and your heart, it starts with what you think of others. Now, point number two is if you want to control your tongue and your heart, it starts with what we think about God's law. James says, he who criticizes a brother or judges his brother criticizes the law and judges the law. Since loving each other as brothers is God's law summed up, when we fail to love, we violate God's law. That's what he's saying. So when you slander your brother, you slander the law that forbids you to do that. When you condemn your brother, you condemn the law that forbids you to do that. Condemning and slandering the law means you disregard it. You judge it unworthy of your attention. Basically, for the sake of us running on podcast time here and needing to move along because we're running out of time, uh, what James is saying is if you slander your brother, that's not love. And if that's not love, then you've broken the law. He says, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. James is basically touching on the fact that a, sinner's, uh, a sinner lives their life like they are above the law. In this instance, a slanderer lives their life like they're above the law because at its core, God's law is love. It regulates things so that we can love him and each other. And when someone slanders someone else, they are violating love. Therefore, they are violating the law. And he says, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Basically, you've just climbed up on the bench and now you think you're in charge. You've rejected your position as one under the authority of the law and you've taken a position above the law. You are in charge. You're living and acting like you're more worthy than the law is. And in James's series of tests in this book to test genuine faith, this would put someone on the bottom end of the grading system. Now, point number three 
is if you want to control your tongue and your heart, it starts with what we think about God himself. In verse 12, he says, there is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. James is saying that there's no room for you on the judge's bench. There's already one there. The Trinity isn't a Trinity because it's been waiting for you to show up as a fourth member all this time. When the slanderer puts himself above the law, he takes the bench and he endeavors to steal it away from God. But the fact is, God gave the law. God applies the law. God has the power to deliver sinners from the penalty of the law. And he also has the power to exact the penalty of the law and to destroy. But that word destroy doesn't convey annihilation. It's a Greek word called apolemy, and it means to put them into eternal loss or eternal estrangement. And finally, and I realize I'm starting to move at a quick pace uh, through the show, but we're running out of time. Point number four is if you want to control your tongue and your heart, it starts with what we think about ourselves. Look at the rest of verse 12. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Basically, who do you think you are? What gives you the right to come off as the judge of all the earth? Are you the holy standard? Are you the measuring stick? That's basically what James was saying to these Jewish Christians who were defaming the character of their brothers in the Lord. James was calling on them to understand their place as children of God, sinners who had been redeemed and given a new life through salvation found in faith in Christ alone. And through that salvation, they were given an intimate family relationship as brothers and sisters in God's family. As Christians, we're called to use the brains that God gave us and the discernment that we have through the working of the Holy Spirit in us to see the difference between darkness and light, good and evil. We use that discernment to weed out sin and corruption amongst ourselves. We use what we know from the Holy Spirit to see and call out and expose sin in the light of God with the intention of making each other stronger in the Lord and restoring one another if there is a need to do so. We do that through the proper steps that Jesus gave us. And we always, always, always do it in love because love is God's law. And it should be our way of life as it governs and controls all of our words and all of our actions. The condemnation of the sinner is God's job. Our job is just to share Jesus with them and love them without restraint. Defaming someone, meaning maliciously proclaiming false, unproved things about them, is always motivated by making yourself feel bigger and more important. But as Christians, we strive for this, a familiar passage on the show, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. We'll be right back after this. Like the show? Buy a shirt. Visit the Edge Podcast store at www.theedgepodcast.com. This is the Edge Podcast with Scott Logan. The Edge Podcast with Scott Logan. 
is a proud partner of JesusFreakHideout.com. JesusFreakHideout.com is one of the world's largest Christian music online resources, featuring music news, videos, album release dates, album reviews, artist interviews, devotionals, and a lot more. The goal is simple, to bring the latest and greatest in Christian music to the internet masses and beyond. For more information, visit www.jesusfreakhideout.com. Join the conversation. Use hashtag BibleGeek and follow us on Twitter at EdgePodcast1. This is The Edge with Scott Logan. Welcome back to the show. If you've noticed a change in my voice as the show goes on, I apologize, guys. I've been losing my voice as I've been talking on the show this week. And so I keep trying to drink as much water as I possibly can. But anyway, thanks, guys, so much for listening. Next week, we're continuing on in James chapter 4, and we're finally going to finish it. And then there's only one more chapter to go. And then that will wrap up season 2 of The Edge podcast. Now, James chapter 5 has a lot to it, and there is probably at least a good four to six weeks worth of content to talk about, so don't worry about it yet. There's still plenty of season two left to go. Anyway, guys, thanks so much for listening. If you want to know more about The Edge Podcast, then please go check out the website, theedgepodcast.com. All of my social media links are at the top right corner of the page, so go ahead and uh, drop a like on the Facebook page and follow me on Twitter at EdgePodcast1. Don't forget, when you're in the conversation, use hashtag BibleGeek. Let's get that trending again. That was that was actually trending for a little bit when we first got it started. Guys, thanks so much for listening. I will see you next week when we're continuing on in James chapter 4 and finishing it. I'm Scott Logan. You've been listening to The Edge Podcast. And until next week, when you're out there living awesome lives, make sure to live on the edge. You've been listening to The Edge Podcast with Scott Logan. Visit the website www.theedgepodcast.com for a complete list of episodes, blogs, merchandise, and more. And above all else, live on the edge.